Welcome back to the Reformed Affections podcast. Today I'm going to be looking at saving faith. So to begin with, what is saving faith? Well, the Westminster Larger Catechism question 72 tells us that justifying faith is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God, whereby he, being convinced of his sin and misery and of the disability in himself and all other creatures to recover him out of his lost condition, not only ascends to the truth of the promise of the gospel, but received and rested upon Christ and his righteousness, therein held forth for pardon of sin and for the accepting and accounting of his person righteous in the sight of God for salvation. So let's start with ascending to the truth of Christ. In Galatians 2 verse 16, it says that knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. So saving faith holds on to the truth that Christ alone can save us. It is his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary that can justify us before God. Forsaking any capability we think we have in ourselves and holding on to Christ alone for salvation is the work of true saving faith. So our saving faith must look to and hold on to Christ alone. We can't look to ourselves and anything we think we have in ourselves that might gain some kind of merit in the eyes of God. You remember if when we looked at in uh, the repentance episode, that man is continually sinful. God looked at our hearts from the very beginning and saw that our hearts were continually evil from our youth. And this is all a result of Adam, which we'll get to later on. But we need to realize that in and of ourselves, we have no ability to gain salvation or to put ourselves into a position to be saved by God. So Christ alone and his work alone is what will justify us before God. And to be justified is to be declared righteous in the sight of God. And this is done only by the work of Christ and us holding on to Christ and the truth of his work in faith. In Romans chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, the Apostle Paul tells us that for if by the one man's offence death reigned through the one man, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offence judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. See, every single human being ever born has inherited from Adam a sinful nature, a sinful nature that has fallen far short of the glory of God and requires salvation from an outside source, from somebody else. And by Adam's offence, death reigned throughout mankind. It reigned from him to all of us because of original sin. But in Christ, that reign of death is broken. It's destroyed by his obedience. His, by his obedience, by his death, and in his resurrection. So it's looking to and trusting in Christ and his obedience, his righteousness, that we will be saved from the wrath of God. We are sinful. 
We cannot and we will not save ourselves. So we must turn to Christ and we must hold on to Christ and the truth of Christ in order to be saved. And remember, as we looked in the beginning at the catechism question, we need to ascend to the truth of Christ, receive the truth of Christ and rest upon that truth. And in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, we are born again of God's will into a life that is renewed, a life that pursues God, pursues Christ, pursues holiness and righteousness. That renewed life, a life of faith in Christ, receiving him in faith, receiving the truth of his completed work to the salvation of our souls. We must receive this truth and ascend to the contents of it, receive it in a humble heart as the only means to salvation. You see, we ascend to the truth of Christ as revealed in the word of God. We, re we receive this truth in a humble heart, and then we must rest in that blessed truth. Resting denotes a sense of inactivity or, or passivity on our part. And there is a sense in which our resting on Christ is inactive, but it's only in the sense that we can add nothing to his work. We cannot improve it. We will not improve it. And it's only in this sense that our resting upon him is inactive. Our faith is very much an active faith. By nature, it cannot be inactive. It demands of us a newness of life. And so resting actively in Christ, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 14, in section 2, tells us that those of faith respond appropriately to the word of God. We obey his commands. We tremble at the threatenings and we embrace the promises. See, it is impossible to act to inactively obey. We cannot inactively tremble, and in order to embrace the promises, we cannot be stationary, but actively seeking out the promises and seeking in them comfort. Our faith is a living faith and demands us to be living members. In Romans chapter 16, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience to the faith. So God commands us in our faith in this newfound life to obey the commandments that are found there. You see, we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by anything we do, be it before or after regeneration. We are only saved by Christ and his work, his sinless life, and his sacrifice on the cross at Calvary is alone what is capable of saving us. But this new life that we have been redeemed to means that we are commanded to obey God's commands, to live a new life, to walk in that newness of life that we have been redeemed to by Christ. And it then tells us as well that we are to tremble at the threatenings of the word. In Isaiah 66 verse 2, the prophet tells us, For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. So God is looking at those 
of who are of a contrite spirit and who tremble at his word. You see, just because we are saved and and bring into that family of God does not mean we are now able to go about living a life that we freely wish to live. We're not there to live a life that pursues sin. We're here to now live a life pursuing righteousness as we are commanded to by God from the very moment of man's creation to now our newfound redemption. We are always to live a life that conforms to the will of God. And that means that we do still tremble at those threatenings of God. We know that we are only saved because of the will of God. We are not saved because of something that we have done. We're not saved because we have somehow earned it. And so we look to God in, a, in, in fear, recognizing that he is holy and it is by his will alone that we are saved and wishing to honor him and to live a life worthy of him as our father. We tremble at those threatenings, wishing to walk in a way that conforms to his commandment. And finally, it also tells us that true faith embraces the promises. And in Hebrews eleven thirteen, we are reminded of those who have died before us in the faith. So he says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So this active faith that receives and rests upon Christ is not left to just obey commandments and tremble at threatenings, but embraces the promises of God as revealed in his word as promises that are given to us, to his church, to the body of Christ. You see, Christ redeemed us, and yet there is more to come for us also. There's a promise of eternal life, which will be fully realized in that new creation. See, once we go past judgment day, we are going to inherit eternal life. We'll be given those heavenly riches that we store up for ourselves in a life that can, is being conformed to the image of Christ. We're to embrace these promises. This is not to be a life lived in doom and gloom, looking at what, what we should have been doing and constantly abasing ourselves over our sinful lives. We're to embrace the promises. There's a great joy to be found in those promises. And we're not to be a people who are depressed and beaten down, trying to follow this overbearing amount of commandments. We are freed from the curse of the law to live in the law of the spirit of faith in Christ. We are freed from the punishment, that eternal condemnation that we had when we were part of the world. We are now free to live in the coming eternal life given us in Christ. And part of the, the renewed redeemed life is to embrace those promises that are found in the word of God but are given unto us, his faithful remnant. And so we embrace those promises that we find in the word of God to give a great joy and relief to our spirits in this, in this world. And so we all need to be able to say that we exercise that saving faith that rests upon, receives and enjoys the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us say with the Apostle Peter that we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Amen.